We're going to continue in this series and, and for the sake of time and for the sake of today, I, I did cut this message in half, focused on one portion rather than two portions of the passage and we, we just trust that God speaks to each one of us as we look in here. We're going to be looking in verses 10 through 17 today in chapter 2 of Second Peter. We are in continuing. This is the fifth message in this series. God, he, or Jesus, he is worthy of our devotion. And it is the second part, which from what we began last week, as we were talking about the devastation of false teachers. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, and we notice what this is all about here on earth, it, it just seems that that we have so much false teaching going around. We have so much deception going around. We 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 have just so much that is out of our control, but we know God is still in control. When we look today in today's passage, what we want to focus our thoughts on is the depravity of false teachers. We're going to talk a little bit about their character today. The Bible tells us starting in verse 10 through verse 17, it says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in, the, in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. They have forsaken the, not, the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam the son of Beor. Who lived, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked by, for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by the tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This is God's holy word. God, we, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we pray, God, that today that you be with us, that you speak to our hearts, that you allow this message to speak to someone here. For God, you know each and every one that is in this place. And you know what we need. So we're trusting you. For God, we need you more than anything. We pray that you would use the message today to speak to the heart of someone who may be lost. Help them to see their need for a Savior. 
Help them to see their need to turn away from evil teaching and to turn to you. And we'll praise you for what you do in the midst of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reading some of John Phillips' writings and he shares that in the U.S. we stamp the words in God we trust upon our coins. In Britain they stamp their coins with the words Fadid Defensor which means defender of the faith. It's a picture a picture of the reigning monarch accompanies this motto on the coin. It began when the Pope bestowed this upon Henry VIII. However, through the years, the motto has taken on a new meaning where Henry VIII was a devout Catholic. Uh, the monarchs throughout Great Britain do not support Catholicism in the same way and in the same light. This, mean, this no longer means a defender of the Catholic faith, but with Queen Elizabeth I, she was a true defender of the Protestant faith. And the words have carried that meaning for centuries since her days in leadership. Some time ago, Prince Charles of Wales, heir to the throne, stated that he did not care for the notion of being a defender of the faith. Instead, in respect to Muslim, Hindus, New Agers, and others, he would rather, when crowned, have the title or have the title to change to defender of faith. Wanted that three-letter word removed. And when you remove it, it changes the whole Amen. scope of the meaning. What Prince Charles doesn't know right now is that he will not be a defender of any faith. But will only be a defender of religion when he has that changed. Ours is the only faith. And you may be saying, well, preacher, how can you be so bold as to say that? Because every other is works-based. Every other, you have to do something, and you have to live a certain way, and you have to follow the do's and don'ts and the programs laid out by those religions in order to meet their God, which doesn't exist. But we as born-again Christians... We live by faith. Amen. And we have faith in a risen Savior who is Jesus Christ. With Peter, we find that he, unlike Prince Charles, will defend the true faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter will not be one who will compromise. And we see this in these, in these verses. Uh, as Peter continues here to share the devastation of false teachers by today, we're, as we're looking at him exposing the depravity of the, or exposing the, the depravity of false teachers. And to expose the depravity of false teachers is to ex expose or to bring to light their wickedness. To expose them or to bring their wickedness to light is to reveal the character 
of these false teachers. Well, Peter begins to share with us about these false teachers saying that they walk according to the flesh. Warren Wiersbe stated that the depraved nature of man does not want to submit to authority. Instead, instead of submitting to authority, false teachers, they seek to fulfill their own lusts. They want to do their own thing. It's a desire to satisfy their pride. And why is it that, that people want to discredit the Bible? Why is it people want to discredit Christianity? It's because of the do's and don'ts. Do you know the moral code of America? The moral code of the universe began when God gave Moses the law? Everything built in our moral code is based upon the law of God. Amen. These false teachers, because of the do's and don'ts that they perceive that Christianity is based around, they're drawing the interest of others, crying out and stressing their rights and their freedoms and their liberty. They attack us by saying, you can't do this and you can't do that if you want to live as a Christian. And you know, the truth of the matter is, maybe we have to shoulder some of the blame to that. You know, in my thoughts, these, these past several months, as I've been really contemplating the direction that God would have me to go as, as we continue in serving here. And I'm just wondering, are we focusing greatly on the do's and don'ts of the scripture i wonder when someone gets saved a brand new convert why is it that we often expect them to automatically know what they should or shouldn't do I wonder, do we really look at them as a new convert who's, who's never been raised up in the church and, and they've come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they, they're doing some of the things that they were doing before and we, we look at them, we point at them and we have the audacity to say, well, if they were ever really saved, they wouldn't be doing these things. When we have all sorts of stuff that we hide from one another every day. I wonder if it's the do's and don'ts that's pushing people away. Well, perhaps we would be better served if we focused on a relationship with God more than we focus on the do's and don'ts. Maybe if we focus on, on the relationship with God with the intent to become more like Christ, to be transformed into the image of Christ, to allow the word of God to speak to our hearts and to tell us what we should do and shouldn't do instead of we as peer preachers and as pastors and as, as teachers to, to, find, to make a beeline to the do's and don'ts with every piece of application and every illustration in our teachings in our preachings. I wonder, I wonder, shouldn't we just focus on loving God and loving others? For if we fulfill those two commandments, we'll fulfill them all. <laughs> I think when we get to where we're focused on that, we'll love our brothers and sisters and we'll help them when they fall. <laughs> Instead of point at him and say, I, I, was, I was skeptical of whether you truly had it. Oh, what? Uh, 
you know what I'm coming to understand is the closer I get to Jesus, the more I draw to God, the more my want to's change. And the more I stay away from God's word, the more I stay away from communing with God, the more I want to revert back to those old want to's. And if that is the case, then it tells me that if I focus on my relationship with God, then the do's and don'ts are just take care of themselves. <laughs> I don't have to have someone coming to me. And you know, that goes back to something I mentioned a little while back. Is that the world knows where we, what we stand against. They know what we stand against. Don't you agree that it's time that they see what we stand for? Yeah, I, I believe. I believe we've got to do a little more study. I believe I've got to do a little more, a little more praying to where I'm not always reverting back to the do's and don'ts. But I'm stressing our, the importance of a relationship with God. You know, Jesus didn't. Jesus focused solely upon our relationship with God. He didn't focus on the do's and don'ts because he knew it would take care of itself. But Peter, he doesn't just focus on these things, but he goes on to describe the teachers as being presumptuous. In other words, they're daring and bold in the way that they attack Christianity. Warren Wiersbe also said that, that there is a boldness that is heroic. But there's a boldness that's also satanic. Make no mistake, anytime anyone speaks up against the word of God, against the gospel of Jesus Christ, against Christianity, it's, an, it's a satanic attack. Anyone, anytime anyone's willing to defy God and get to, in order to get what they want with no remorse, with no fear, with no trembling, you can rest assured Satan is controlling that person. And as Peter continues to expose the depravity of false teachers, he likens them to being brute beasts. You know, brute beasts have one destiny according to this text. And that is, they're going to be slaughtered. Right there, he said, beasts made to be caught and destroyed. That's what he's liking these false teachers to. Uh, while, while animals have life in them, they don't have the ability to reason. They have no understanding. They purely live by instinct. Now, one day, I walked out of my front door. It's not often that I do. But I walked out of my front door, walked off the porch, down the steps, and took a few steps to my right and there was an unfamiliar rock waller. When I noticed him, I started backing up real easily. And I made it to the door and inside the house before he got to the bottom step. Now, I don't know about you, how you would have felt, but I got enraged. I got angry. A dog ran me out of my yard. That I pay taxes on. 
an animal, and I know some of you might not like this, but, but that's what it was. An animal ran me out of my yard. But you know what? The dog didn't know who I was. The dog didn't know where I was going. He didn't know what I was up to. He didn't even know where he was at. What the dog saw was someone walking toward him. So he started walking toward me. What? Animal instinct. That's how animals live. And Peter is saying that's how these false teachers are. They're no more than a brute beast. That dog got a hold of me, as big as it was, it could have tore me apart. But it had only been doing all that it knows to do. It don't know any better. Because it reacts. It doesn't reason. These false teachers Peter is speaking of. They were saying things they did not understand. They had not expressed faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, so they cannot have a knowledge of spiritual things. So here he says that, that they have no understanding. Uh, <laughs> haven't you heard people speak about us, us as native people and, and African-American people as being spiritual beings. We're just spiritual people. And they're running wild doing everything they want to do and not following the Lord. But, but we're spiritual people. No. I, I just disagree with that. Because I've come to understand until the spirit of God is awakened inside of me, I'm just the devil. There's nothing spiritual about me. But it's when I come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it's only until we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that we can become spiritual people. Because in that moment, he quickens, he awakens, he comes to life within us and he begins to control our lives. We can't be spiritual when we're lost in darkness. We're only spiritual when we're walking in the light. And we're surrendering to him. You know, we, we say that and that, that we're spiritual beings, but man, I've come to understand we don't know what the spirit is until he's alive within us. How can we classify ourselves or anyone else for that matter? Or any other race when you find wickedness in all races? The only time you won't find wickedness is when the spirit of God is alive and well. Matthew 6 and 23 says, but if our eye is bad, our whole body is bad. Our whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in you, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So how then can anyone know that there's about spiritual things when the spirit of God's not made alive in them this sort of teaching is corrupting our young people they're now believing that they have access to heaven because of their race or because of their background when when they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and from this false teachers today like false prophets and the false teachers of Peter's day will perish in their own corruption 
They will perish for corrupting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 10 and 28, the Bible says anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy. Anyone who contradicts the word of the Lord rejects his word. And and Moses' law is indeed his word. And to reject it is to die without mercy. We must get the truth out. No matter the cost. Peter continues to share that we must be aware of these false teachers for they are carousers. The King James, it it calls them revelers or revelers, ever how you want to pronounce that. That's what he calls them. These teachers prey on the weak and the vulnerable by seducing them. And they're choosing those who are unstable. How often have we not heard about pastors falling into adultery? How often have we, are we hearing about sexual misconduct with minors taking place in the church? This has become so common that churches are careless not to have and not to enforce background checks for those who work with minors. Aren't you glad we do it? Folks, it's running rampant through the Southern Baptist Convention so that, that this summer at our convention meeting, that was the hot topic of the entire convention. What are we doing now to prevent sexual misconduct with minors? In the church. In the church. Truth be told, this all falls on the preachers, the pastors, and the teachers. You know what I was told when I started preaching? Preacher, you better make sure your wife's with you wherever you go. Help her to deter those women who will sit on the front row with their skirts shortened and their and their, their wear those tight fitting clothes to just draw your attention to them. Well, if my attention as a preacher of the gospel is on the word of God, then that's not where my attention's gonna be. It falls on us. We're held to the higher standard. We're called to teach and to preach and to lead others, so we must guard ourselves. We can't put the blame on someone else for our actions. Well, she just come on to me and I could help myself. Well, we shouldn't have been alone together. Say amen. And I'm so glad. You know, we got some folks in this church that's bold enough to call me and say, Preacher, so-and-so's sick, but you better care somebody with you. And I'm thank God that we got people who have that much discernment within them that they're bold enough to tell me that. Because you know what it is? They're not telling me what to do. They're trying to preserve the ministry because they see there's value in ministry. And we've put parameters together here. I want you to know that. When I meet with a young woman here by myself, there's somebody else on this campus. And I'm so glad y'all had that glass in my door before I got here. You can see me. If you walk by the glass, I'm sitting in my desk where I should be. You can see me. You might not see who I'm talking to, but you can see what I'm doing. I'm sitting in a chair behind the desk. Folks, the standard falls upon us. God's entrusted us to teach you. We will give an account for our stewardship. James 3 and 1 says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. Man, I I tell you, I wouldn't have put that in the scriptures if I would have wrote it, but God's wrote it, so we've got to follow it. Man, we've heard how wicked preachers and pastors are. Not only do do they prey on the vulnerable, but they're fleecing the sheep. 
out of greed, out of lust, for uh, they take advantage of their congregations. These, these are people who want to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Instead, they want to get everything that they possibly can, even by corrupting the gospel. And there's one that many of our church people will listen to that buy his books and he's fleecing the sheep. Preaching a gospel, a prosperity gospel, killing our folks, telling us that the blood of Jesus Christ don't have to be preached from the pulpit. And there is no gospel without the blood of Jesus. Instead... (laughs) They're labeling labeling it the prosperity gospel with boldness. And they're defending it by saying God wants the very best for his followers. Matthew 16 and 26 says, What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will he give in exchange for his soul? Peter calls these false teachers accursed. Folks, God does want the best for us. I believe that. But he knows what's best for us. No matter where we are financially in this world, money and stuff will never be what's best for us. What's best for us is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What's best for us is being obedient to our Heavenly Father. What's best for us is that our family is able, we're able to say to them that that I know that I know that I know that when my last day on earth comes that I'm going to be with the Lord for all eternity. That's what's best for us. You know what keeps, what comforts that, that the Lloyd's family today is knowing that their mother had left a testimony and that she lived out that testimony before them. It's not how much money she had made. It's not the house that she lived in. It's not the material things that she gave them. But knowing that they can one day spend an eternity with her around the throne of Jesus, that's what gives her comfort or gives them comfort. Peter illustrates this. He illustrates this in this passage as we, if you look in verse 16, you begin to see, reminding us of the story of Balaam that you would find in Numbers 22. We remember the story where King Moab, the king of Moab, Balak, he he began to fear the strength of Israel. So he sent messengers to a, a diviner, a soothsayer, <laughs> one who does witchcraft. He wants to talk with this one. He wants him to actually put a curse upon Israel. Now, at first, Balaam refuses to go and discuss the matter with the king, but the king continued. To put pressure upon him. The pressure didn't come from threatening his life. The pressure come from, well, I'll give you this status. I'll give you this position. And I'll give you this much wealth. (laughs) He finally got to a place where the offer was such... That Balaam's heart coveted the world. So he agreed to go meet with the king. 
Now, I don't know how many of you watch professional wrestling. I used to love it, it but it's become a little ridiculous now. Uh, these past several years, it's uh, no longer actually called pro wrestling. It's called sports entertainment. And, but several years ago, there was a character by the name of the Million Dollar Man. One of his catchphrases was, everyone has a price for the Million Dollar Man. Well, the king, Balak, found Balaam's price. But on his way to meet the king, God gave Balaam's donkey the power to speak. God, read this. It's in Numbers 22, 22 through 24, I believe. If you just read this story, if you don't believe, the donkey talked. Is it 28? The donkey talked. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't mind. I don't believe Miss Janet would mind me saying this, but she told us that she that growing up they had a a donkey that would inform them how much it wanted to eat by rubbing its uh, its leg on the dirt. It would tell if it want two or one or two ears of corn. And you know we got to laugh about that, but but she declared that happened. But what the Bible tells us is this donkey didn't motion anything; it spoke. God gave it the power to speak. God used the donkey to rebuke Balaam. <laughs> Some of you might not like this, but when an animal displays more sense and are more obedient to God than we are, we're in a terrible place. Amen. I don't care what kind of animal it is. If it's more obedient to God than we are, <laughs> we're, we're messed up. <laughs> we are messed up and we need to turn to the Lord. Here, Paul, Peter is telling us, he's telling us here that we must not allow the riches of this world to entice us to compromise the truth of God's word. When we compromise the truth of the gospel, we simply provide a false hope that in the end, it's going to lead to destruction. Instead... Instead, we are to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the true and a genuine motive. For God must be glorified and his son, Jesus Christ, he must be magnified. Listen, false teachers are going to tell us all sorts of things. They're going to take advantage of us when they have the opportunity to. But the best way <laughs> to defend against them is to be aware of them. And the scripture teaches us of them. And, and the more we read what's going on in the world today, the more we'll see these false teachers right before us. Do you know what the, what the media is doing? Have you watched much TV? You can't watch a commercial. You can't hardly watch any program. Without some way, shape, or form that they're sending a subliminal messages to us that is completely against the word of God. Amen. And they're teaching our children as they continue to watch TV that, that this is okay. These lifestyles are okay. Doing these things are okay. They're continually throwing it in our face. And the government is now saying it's okay. And so we got churches who are saying it's okay. And when we preach and we teach against it being okay, then they want to threaten our, they want to threaten our freedoms as Christians. 
But the truth of the gospel is Jesus left the portals of glory. He was born of a virgin. When he was born, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was placed in a feeding trough. To have the audacity to believe that God himself manifest himself down. To be born of a virgin is being willing to stand on the truth. He lived a sinless life. And he died a sinner's death. He bled, shedding all his blood for your sins and mine. But on the third day, under his own power, he arose from the grave, giving us victory over death and taking the sting, or over hell and the grave and taking the sting of death away. And anyone who will believe can receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you will know without a shadow of a doubt, he's yours and you're his. And that you'll have a home in glory. But you've got to be willing to receive Jesus. There's no other way. There's no way to God outside of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That may sound arrogant to some. That may sound pompous to some. But it is the truth of God's word. He loves you today. He loves you so much that he died for you. So that you could have eternal life. So that when we come to a day like we're going to have this afternoon. And it's you rolled down in the casket. Then your family can be comforted knowing that heaven's your home. And that they can come see you. But folks, that's the only comfort you'll be able to give them at that time. You're here today and you don't know Jesus. Why not stop burdening your family? Why not release the burdens from them by receiving Jesus and tell them, heaven's my home because Jesus is my savior. And if I have to leave this world, it's okay. Just come see me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Will you receive the truth of this gospel? Because Jesus is, he's coming back. Would you come? Would you today? Would you receive it? Maybe you want to receive it, but you don't know how. Just pray with me. If you sincerely want to know Jesus as your savior, just pray with me. God, I am a sinner. Lost and on my way to a demon's hell. God, I believe your son died for me. I believe his death, his burial, his resurrection was enough for me 
to be forgiven of my sins and to become your child. Today, I believe Jesus is your son. And God, I receive him as my savior. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for giving me peace and joy. Now help me to live for you. Draw me nigh unto thee. God, I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray.